Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have a great episode for you this week. I had the opportunity to chat with pastor, author, and blogger Jared Wilson. Jared is a prolific writer. His articles have been read by tens of millions of people, and his most recent book, Love is Oxygen, has been widely endorsed by leaders such as Bob Goff and Craig Rochelle. So Jared is really in great company. Jared and his wife, Julie, founded Anthem of Hope, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to illuminating hope for those battling brokenness, depression, anxiety, self-harm, suicide, and addiction. Together, they have traveled the globe, ministering to thousands and equipping Christian leaders to reach the next generation in a relevant and authentic way. On this week's episode, Jared speaks very openly about his own battle with depression, anxiety, and thoughts of suicide. We discuss how the church has historically neglected mental health and how church leaders today can take steps to effectively minister to those who are facing depression, feelings of hopelessness, addiction, and other mental health issues. This is a very real and practical conversation that we as church leaders really need to dig into, and I am so very thankful that someone with Jared's experience and heart is able to teach us and share with us about this important topic. So let's dive right into my conversation with Jared Wilson. Jared, I just want to welcome you to our Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for having me on. It's an honor. Yes, brother. Okay, so um, let's hit a quick highlight here. Uh, You were recently on a reality TV show. It wasn't Dance Moms. It wasn't Keeping Up with the Kardashians, right? Um, I wish. Yeah, no (laughs) doubt, right? So tell us a little bit about your um, big cable television debut. Yeah, you know, it it was a really humbling experience for us. Uh, We obviously didn't go... Uh, into this looking for that at all. I have been very outspoken about my journey and my battle with mental health over the last, you know, however many years has been now, 10, 11 years, uh, especially as it pertains to uh, the faith-based world. And so I've been writing a lot of articles and helping bring to light the reality of of people of faith who deal with mental health. And uh, that got me into contact with this uh, guy who is now, I consider one of my good, good friends named Adam Busby, who uh, is the father of six girls, five of which are quintuplets. Wow. Um, and they have a reality TV show called Out Daughtered. Uh, they are seriously the real deal. They're incredible parents, an incredible family. Um, and so me and him started talking because he reached out to me and explained that he was dealing with some things um, and didn't really know you know, what was going on, you know, his, his emotions were manifesting into potentially depression. We didn't know at the time, you know, I was just kind of hearing him out and talking to him. And uh, the more and more we talked, the more and more we realized, yeah, man, you know, this is, you are dealing with some type of depression. This could be postpartum depression. Uh, you know, you've got a lot going on. It's not like you don't have six, you know, girls, (laughs) uh, five of them, you know, being two years old, you also have a full-time job. You also have to be a husband. You also, and so, we began this journey of me just being a friend to him and just being there for him. And, um, it was vice versa. I mean, it was, you know, he was asking for help and prayer for things. And I'd be like, Hey man, why don't you pray for me today too? And I was kind of opening up with him and long story short, uh, then we got the, a text that said, Hey man, you know, we kind of want to bring all this to light. You know, we feel like this is something that needs to be shared. You know, I don't really want to hide it. And I said, man, I agree with you. I think if you're able to be open and honest about this with your viewers, you are going to help possibly millions of people 
um, understand that they're not alone and it's okay to admit that you're not okay. And so that, you know, manifested into us being on the TV show. And it was just such a blessing because, you know, we didn't go into it looking for this. I just, I just like to help people. Uh, and he reached out to me and this is what it's turned into. So it was a, a huge blessing to be able to walk alongside their family as they've, you know, gone through this. Uh, and still are. I mean, it's not something that just goes away for everybody. And so, yeah, we've we've come out with some really great friends, and it was a really cool opportunity to share uh, and bring to light uh, mental health and help end the stigma that surrounds it. Yeah, that that's excellent. And and uh, like you said, that's that's something that you have been kind of championing for for quite some time as, as a pastor, as a blogger, as a writer, um, really kind of bringing to light um, in the church world specifically uh, mental health. And this is an area that you've not simply like spent time researching and trying to you know pull together some data, although I'm, I'm sure you've done your research, but it's something that you have have lived out, as you mentioned and and you've been very open about your own struggles and your own yeah. journey. Uh, in fact, in the opening paragraphs of your new book, "Love is Oxygen," you share how you were sitting in your you know 1997 Toyota forerunner and you're contemplating the most painless ways that you could take your own life. Yeah, exactly. So so this is a a very real issue, obviously, yet it's one that seems to have been, I don't know, ignored or perhaps neglected by the church. So so and, why, I, and I don't yeah. think it was done maliciously. Right. I don't think people ignored mental health and still ignore it, let's be honest. Right. A, a lot of people still ignore it, especially pastors. It, they're not ignoring it to be malicious. They're ignoring it because they don't know enough about it. So the easy default to do with something when you don't know about it is just not talk about it or say it's bad. Right. And so, I mean, I'm not mad at pastors for not talking about it. I'm just disappointed because the reality is, is just like, you know, sex was super taboo to talk about even 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, all of a sudden now, because we realize it's just part of life and it's part of marriage that you just talk about sex now. So what was once a taboo where it was, hey guys, we're gonna talk about, you know, what happens when a mommy and daddy get together next week, so you might wanna leave your kids at home. Now it's just, hey, we're talking about sex because it's part of life and the taboo is, is gone and it, there's no more stigma around it. I believe the same is going to be true for mental health, but the only way that you can destigmatize something is for you to talk about it. And so for a lot of pastors, I don't need them to have experienced depression or any mental health disorder to talk about it. I just need them to be aware of it and address it from the pulpit and let people know, hey, you might be going through this. And just so you know, it's okay because we're all broken people and we've all got struggles. Right. No, that, that that's so solid. I want to jump into a little bit. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I want to jump into a little bit on kind of a hot topic, especially within the church world around mental health disorders, depression, anxiety, and those types of things. That, that there tends to be maybe uh, probably more than two camps, like like most issues, right? But um, tends to be a couple different camps. You know, one one camp is, hey, um, the Holy Spirit's all you need. So <laughs> you know, whatever whatever is going on in your life. That's all you need to turn to, and, yeah. and turning anywhere else is almost sometimes frowned upon or, or looked down upon. And then there, there's the kind of the other camp that says, yes, the Holy Spirit's all we need. We know that, but mm -hmm. we've been blessed because there are opportunities for medical care and, and yep. counseling and those types of things. So can you kind of talk a little bit about that um, 
and, and how that's manifested itself in the church world and and how you've kind of navigated through that as a pastor yourself. Yeah, well, the first thing is that we have to understand is all throughout Scripture, we see that just because Jesus can and just because the Holy Spirit can doesn't mean that he will. That's mm. just that's just fact. Right. Just because the Spirit can doesn't mean the Spirit will. The second part is the same reason a a pastor wouldn't be caught dead, and if they were caught doing this, I think people would frown upon it, walking into cancer centers and telling uh, little girls to stop taking chemotherapy and just trust in Jesus. Um, you, the same thing is true. I mean, you wouldn't do that to someone dying of cancer. I mean, that's just silly. Right. You wouldn't walk in and go, you know what? little girl, the reason you're not healed is not because the chemo is not working. It's just because you're, you're, you don't have enough faith. So I would encourage you get off that chemo and just have enough faith. Does faith play a part? Does prayer play a part? Does worship and studying God's word play a part in people finding healing? Yes. Are there people in this world who have prayed away their illnesses and prayed away their cancer? I believe so. I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is fully alive and capable of doing miraculous things. You read the Bible, we'll see that. But just because the Spirit can doesn't mean the Spirit will. So for the same reason people take medicine for high blood pressure or medication for a flu or they, they're on chemo for you know brain cancer or, or whatever it may be, God has given men and women around the world the knowledge and know-how of how to create medication that can help people with their brain for mental health. Mm. And so here's the thing. I believe the two work beautifully together. I don't think it's one or the other. I don't think it's, oh, you just take medication and you don't rely on God. I don't think that's, well, you only rely on God. You don't take medication. I think there's a beautiful intertwining of both when you take the medical side of it and the pastoral side of it. Medication's not for everybody. I don't encourage medication for everybody. It's between you. It's between God. It's between a counselor. It's between a pastor, your own convictions. That's okay. But I would also not tell someone not to take medication just because they need to instead have more faith. Does that make sense? Yeah, t totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Thank you for that. Now, as as we're kind of talking through some of these uh, different mental disorders and and how, how the church kind of approaches them, I, I just think kind of even in society, like uh, suicide, obviously, without a doubt, is incredibly yeah. devastating, right? Um, to families, friends, classmates, coworkers, to whole communities are impacted when um, when someone takes their life. It's it's in a way, suicide is is very public, right? People yeah. become aware that someone has, you know, their life has ended. But there are so many people who are battling with depression, right? And depression is oftentimes not as public. Oftentimes it's a, it's more hidden. It's not, yeah. unfortunately, until something very drastic happens, like an attempt at suicide that, that you uh, know, suddenly, oh, you know, the lights go on. How can we as a church, you know, we're talking to pastors and to ministry leaders. How can we as a church better help those who are wrestling with, with depression when it's sometimes hidden away? Well, number one, talking about it. Pastors addressing depression and mental health, anxiety, suicide, whatever it may be, maybe PTSD from the pulpit, addressing it that you're not any less of a Christian because you deal with these things. What we have to realize is if you read the book of Job, I mean, I don't even have to go into any more after that statement. Read the book of Job. Right. 
some of God's brightest saints dealt with the darkest of depression. Okay, so what we have to understand is just because you're dealing with depression or suicidal thoughts does not mean you're any less of a believer or a Christian than anybody else, which is why statements like you just need to have more faith and you don't need medicine is so harmful Mm. towards people who are dealing and battling with mental health, because then all of a sudden they think, well, if I'm not healed, then that means I must be a really crappy Christian. What's wrong with me? So we have to make sure that we're not making these dumb blanket statements that a lot of pastors make, no offense to a lot of them, that they're just doing it because they don't know what they don't know, so they're just winging it. Um, and number two, they just back to my first statement, they just need to talk about it. Depression is one of those things that's really hard for people to talk about and to admit, so your church has to create a safe space for people to be able to come in and admit their brokenness. The last thing you want to do is uh, make— your church, a place where people feel afraid to share their messy pieces of life. That's what the church is for. Yeah. Amen on that. And one thing as you're talking, I was thinking, yeah, that's that's dead on. We need to be more vocal about it um, because only in being uh, more vocal about it do people feel more open and comfortable and safe, as you've said, you know, to, to actually share what they're wrestling with. It's not like this is a little tiny issue. Right. Pastors, I mean— it's the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, suicide is. 42,000 people uh, die by suicide a year in the States. Um, one person dies by suicide every 40 seconds somewhere in the world, and over a million wow. people die by suicide worldwide each year. Like, that's a— Right. That's a, those are big numbers. It's not just something we can brush under the rug because, you know, it's— it's not that big of a deal. No, this is a massive ordeal that pastors have to address from the pulpit because I I almost guarantee um, I have yet to see a statistic or a poll or a percentage that I feel like is accurate yet, but I would almost guarantee that every congregation, man, there is about, and I may be stretching this a little bit, but I'd rather overstretch it than undervalue it, uh, 20 to 30%. Uh, of people in the congregation have dealt with some type of mental health disorder in their life. And I would say about 99% of the congregation knows of someone who has. Right. That's a, that's a lot of people. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, a lot of, a lot of my pastor friends, um, over the years I've bumped into, you know, some of them are, have, have, you know, shared that they wrestle themselves with depression. And, and you've, you've obviously spoken and written openly about, about your own, your own struggles but I, I've seen you're, – you're a rarity for sure in this space because most pastors that I know are not comfortable being open about their own struggles with depression or anxiety um, or just kind of hopelessness because, again, they feel like they're the pastor. They have to somehow have it all together. What would you say to, to pastors um, who, who might be listening right now who themselves have been wrestling with with depression and are just uncertain how to really navigate that as a pastor and the pressures of being a pastor on top of it. Uh, the first thing is th- they have to open up. You have to open up. I tell people all the time that trying to hide your brokenness or keep it from others is like putting a, you know, a pack of Mentos into a bottle, a two liter bottle of Coke. Eventually it's going to explode mm-hmm. and you're going to get everyone around you wet too. It's just, you have to deal with it now. You have to start opening up and talking to people, whether it's your family. I mean, you definitely need to talk to your spouse. You definitely need to talk to a counselor, a pastoral friend. But then I have seen such power in pastors also admitting their brokenness to their congregation is like, hey, 
I'm a pastor, but I'm not perfect. This is what I'm going through. Uh, my my buddy John Acuff calls it the gift of going second, and my wife and I use this analogy all the time. John says that the gift of going second is that when you sit down with someone or maybe you're in a, a large group setting and you're speaking, you admit all of your junk and all of your baggage first because then it gives everybody else the opportunity to take their walls down and feel like, okay, I can be honest with this guy because I just heard that he's growing through a lot of junk too. Now I feel a lot more comfortable admitting my junk. Right. So if pastors, more pastors can do this and step up on a pulpit and say, this is my junk. This is what I'm going through. You are not alone. We're a bunch of broken people all in need of the love and grace of Jesus. I'm telling you, people would be flocking to churches. The reason a lot of people aren't is because we have a lot of pastors who put on this persona of perfection that's fake, it's unbiblical, and it's wrong, that they have everything together, they're holier than thou, and it's just not true. And a lot of our world, especially millennials now, are calling it out because they know it's not real. What would you say to the pastor? I mean, that's that's great stuff. I, I, I totally agree with you. What would you say the pastor says, you know, I have a fear that um, if I admit some of, some of these things I'm wrestling with, that there will be people who might say I'm unfit to be leading um, a congregation. I can't think of one passage of Scripture that would lead for someone to believe that because someone battles with depression that they would be unfit to lead. Addiction is another thing. Um, but when it comes to mental health, as far as depression, anxiety, we have to understand that we're, there were people all throughout the Bible. Obviously, we're talking about Job, who is one of the main guys who obviously is in the Bible for a reason. And right. so we have to understand that just because someone battles with depression or anxiety doesn't mean they're unfit to lead. They are unfit to lead, not because uh, – how do I explain this? Uh, there, there is a point where they become unfit to lead where they just can't get up in the morning because their depression is so bad. And it's not because they're a bad person. It's because, hey, guys, I just need to take a step back, and I need to work on this because if I don't work on this, I can't be the pastor that you deserve. So I need to go get some help. Um, but that would that would be the only time I would say a pastor would be unfit unfit to lead. When, when a lot of suicidal thoughts start coming into play, when it starts affecting the way they're viewing God, depression has a you know, depression is really good at making you forget everything you know about God. It's it's very good at it. When it starts affecting your marriage, when it starts affecting you as being a parent, there is a time where depression can cause you to be unfit to lead. But depression, anxiety, if you have it, uh, you, you could say under control, you're, you're managing it, you're, you're seeking professional help. If the professional help says, hey, you're still fit to lead, I would trust that professional help. The second they say, hey, man, you might really want to think about stepping down and taking some time off, I would listen to that. And that's why accountability for pastors is so crucial because the reality is most pastors aren't going to call themselves out and say, I'm, I'm unfit to lead. They need to have a group of people that are know the insides and outs of that pastor. The pastor has to be willing to share with them. And then that group of people, whether it's elders or just a pastoral board, can say, man, we love you, but you really got to take a step back. It's not because you're a bad pastor. You're not. We're not saying that you're unqualified. Just as of right now, you're unfit to lead at this season because we want you to get some help. Jared, that, that's that's so good. And, and as you're talking about that, that accountability, that goes back to obviously that authenticity um, you have to be able to be open in having those conversations with with those elders or you know those people around you, your church board, whomever that might be, in order to to have these uh, productive conversations. Um, I was also thinking as you're talking through that, you know, it's it, it's it's not much different than if if you had um, 
you know, some other some other illness that we recognize a lot more easily. You know, if if a pastor you know is battling through through cancer. And, uh, you know, they're just, they're unfit physically to be able to lead for a time as they're, you know, going through chemotherapy or whatever, um, then uh, the same thing holds true, right? You need to kind of step back. You know, there might be a point where you need to step back as you're going through your treatment um, until you're healthy again to once again lead. And so it's, it's, again, it's it's, it's very similar in, in that regard, correct? Oh, of course. I mean, I've seen a lot of times where pastors have what, no matter what the, let's say it's an immoral failure, let's say there's a time where they're unfit to lead. There's restoration, and after a few years, they actually come back, and and that's a beautiful thing. You know, Matt Chandler is a guy over at Village Church. I don't, um, I know a little bit of his stuff. You know, I follow a little bit of it, but I know at one point in time, and and I might be messing up some of the details. I know Matt Chandler had brain cancer, and he took time off because he was getting treated for cancer. Right, and so he didn't come back until he was physically and mentally able to pastor again. And right. so I just think that's a testament. I mean. You've got to be able to admit when you're no longer fit to lead people because if you can't, you're inevitably just going to hurt people. Uh, and a lot of it comes with is pride, pastors not wanting to admit mm. that they're broken. Right. But we have to understand that Jesus exists because broken people are all that exist in the world. Right, right. All, there's not a perfect per, there's not a perfect person in this world. And so you admitting you're broken is like, well, yeah, duh, we all are. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Awesome. So in your book, Love is Oxygen, uh, you really focus in on God's love. So as I was kind of reading through that, I, I was thinking, you know, what do you say to the person who is struggling with, um, let's say, with like depression, and they have already heard uh, time and time again, probably that God loves them, but they they can't get past their feelings of of hopelessness. How do you kind of, you know, help that person? Yeah, for me, I I, I break it down into three parts, and I always I always tell people that God loves you life matters and that you have a purpose in this world. In fact, the nonprofit my wife and I run called Anthem of Hope, those are, I guess you call them core values or, you know, our three pillars or whatever they are. God loves you, your life matters, and you have a purpose in this world. It's one of those things that may be cliche to tell somebody when they're like, yeah, I know that man, but I'm broken. In fact, I even explained that in the book that I heard about God's love all the time. People were telling me that God loved me all the time, but I would just brush it off and go, I know, but it doesn't make what I'm feeling any less, you know, you know, terrible. Right. And so what it took me, this might be different for others, but what it took me was hitting the lowest of lows. Um, you know, they say, and then all you can do is look up from there. And so it took me hitting the lowest of lows to where I didn't want to live anymore. You know, as the book says, I was Googling painless ways to commit suicide. Um, and I remember this one moment and I don't say God audibly spoke to me very often at all. It's a, it's a very powerful statement to say God said. I can only say that for about four or five things in my life, this being one of them, where I was yelling out to God, literally saying every curse word in the book, just mad, upset, broken, hurting, and telling God, I don't want to feel like this anymore. I don't want to feel like this anymore. And clear as day, I just remember God kind of impressing this you know, this word on my heart of him saying, um, I don't want you to feel like this anymore either. Mm. And it was just kind of like that duh statement Mm -hmm. where, you know, with the snap of a finger, not everything was better, but at the snap of a finger, it was like, whoa, this is something I had not realized before as simple and as, as plain as it is. That's right. Everything I've read in the Bible, God doesn't want me to feel like this way either. And so that began the journey of me attending church, reading my Bible, accountability from other pastors, other friends, 
uh, sharing my brokenness, sharing my heart, seeing a counselor, getting on antidepressants. And so it was a journey. And it all started with me opening up and being honest and opening up my heart and letting God take control. A lot of people right now who are dealing with mental health issues will have a problem fully opening because they're scared of what's going to happen. But what I tell people all the time is there's no such thing as being kind of authentic or kind of transparent. Mm -hmm. You're either transparent or you're not. You're either authentic or you're not. So you have to be fully transparent, fully authentic, and fully open in what you're dealing with. You have to let people into your life so that your life can be changed for the better. Oh, that's solid, brother. So here, here, here's a question I want to pose to you um, because, you know, you and Julie have literally traveled around the world. You've spoken on, um, you know, the, the power of, of Christ and the power of hope yeah. in the midst of brokenness and anxiety, self-harm, addictions, depression, all of the all of these things. And I know you've had, you know, many, many conversations, many people reach out to you guys um, through through Anthem of Hope and through your own ministries, through your writings, all of that. And, and I'm sure that you've come across, you know, people who in their lives, maybe something has been done to them, something out of their control. They've yep. been abused in some way. And so they're carrying this, this baggage and they've got this, you know, and they've wrestled through this, you know, sense of um, hopelessness or, 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 you know, worthlessness or, you know, if God really was a God of love, then why has this happened to me? And, and, and they're struggling with getting beyond that. How can we help people and speak into people's lives who have, you know, experienced those types of circumstances that were out of their control and are trying to um, move through these feelings of, of depression and um, yeah hopelessness. Yeah, so one of the things I always tell people is like, and this is just my theological, I'm on this theological side of the coin okay. where there's the, there's the other as well, but I'm on this theological side of the coin where I say you can't blame God for the actions of stupid people. I mean, that's just... That's just the reality. And so I believe fully that not everything happens for a reason, but that God can redeem all things and give them a purpose. Amen. So there are a lot of people in this world like, you know, everything happens for for a reason. I'm like, really? I'm like, so that girl got raped for a reason? That parent lost their kid in a car accident for a reason? You know, that person had their um, you know, their brother murdered for a reason. No, that's, that is not the God I know. I'm not on that theological side of the coin where I believe God is ordaining and illustrating brokenness. But what I do believe is that God can redeem and, and give purpose to situations that look broken and are broken. So there's a, there's a big difference. And so my encouragement to people is you got to get the everything happens for a reason tagline out of your head, because I, I don't believe that to, tr to be true. Instead, I believe God can redeem all things for a reason, because I believe in that God has given people the power of free will, free will to make their own choices. So we can't blame the stupid actions of people on, on God. That's awesome. It, as you're saying that, um, one, of, one of the things I highlighted in, in your book um, came out of the chapter entitled God is Love, and, and I highlighted this. You wrote, God's love doesn't give up in the face of resistance. Real love persists. Real love pursues. And, and I think that is such a word of uh, truth and a word of hope um, because God's love just continues to chase us down. Can you share how you've experienced that um, not only in your own life but in the lives of those around you as you've been uh, you know, in ministry? 
Yeah. So the whole premise of love is oxygen is that in the same way that oxygen gives life to the human body, the premise of love is oxygen in the book is that God's love gives life to the soul. I mean, it's the it's the way that we find life to the fullest is to know God's love. And so in the book, I explain and share and illustrate my encounter with God's love and how I found myself um, find freedom from the bondage and chains of depression. I, I, I make sure that to say that even today, I, God hasn't completely freed me and ridden me of depression and and those things. But God has given me the strength to rise up and ignore the lies that depression tells me about myself. There's two completely different things. And so that's the first part of the book. And then the second part of the book is then how I've seen God's love work in the lives of people around me. Um, there's a, a really cool story of, you know, a missions trip I was on and I went to um, Nicaragua and I met this little girl named Julie who just so happened to have the same name of, as my wife, which I don't believe is a coincidence. And we were in this trash heap and these little girls had these little metal picks and they were picking through the trash trying to find metal that they could sell or objects they can sell or even old food that they could eat. And as I'm walking around with them, you know, my heart's breaking. She then tells me her name's Julie. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Sweetest little girl. And then I have a, a cross tattooed um, on my chest that I got when I was 18, regret regrettably. Um, but <laughs> Um, I have a big cross tattooed on my chest and I was think I was wearing like a V-neck or, or some type of scoop neck T-shirt. And in the midst of this little girl, literally, it, she's at the lowest of, of lows. It doesn't get any more poor than this. Um, there's dogs walking around with her. Uh, you know, they, she barely has any any clothes on. I mean, they're just trying to find what they can to sell it. Uh, she sees the cross on my chest and she says, Jesus Cristo. And she points to the sky and she like puts her hands over her heart and she says, Jesus Cristo. And she keeps saying it over and over again, Jesus Cristo and, and keeps raising her hands up. And it just broke my heart, man, because uh -huh. it was like in the midst of a really crappy situation, right. literally we're in a garbage dump. Right. I mean, that's, that's what the chapter is called. God in the garbage dump. We're in a garbage dump in the middle of Nicaragua. There are dogs uh, running around with more meat on their bones than this little girl. In the midst of this jacked up situation, she sees the cross on my chest and she finds joy in God's love, Jesus Cristo. And so it was just a beautiful picture. I mean, that's just one example um, of the incredible ways we've seen God's love uh, move about my life and, and the, the life of my wife. That is so awesome. So awesome, brother. This, the book that you've written, Love is Oxygen, uh, your latest book. Who would you say that the book is written for? What 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 audience? Who who you know? I mean, who who is going to really um, uh, be spoken to through this book? Um, you know, <laughs> I think the the tendency is to say everyone. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, which I do believe that, but I think uh, you know, this actually equates to everyone as well. But I think that anyone that has ever felt unworthy of God's love. Mm. That's who this book is for. Anybody who has ever felt unworthy of God's love um, and anybody who has ever doubted the power of God's love, those two groups of people. And then on the, and then maybe the third one would be anyone who just wants a refresher on God's love and the power of God's love. Right. That's good. As I was reading through it, I was, I mean, it was obviously very encouraging to me, but I was thinking this is one of those books, I think, Jared, that is going to be given away a lot. You know, I mean, just it's one of those books that people are going to to share with people because everyone has someone in their life. You know, what I mean, who who you just want to, you know, really somehow express 
the, the yeah. beauty and the, the hope of God's love. And, and you just do it so beautifully in this book that, that uh, as I was reading through it, I was thinking of, you know, several people that I was like, I've got to get a copy and get it in their hands. So, um, that yeah. means the world, man, the reality is that I went into this project. Um, how do I explain this? I went in this project, not thinking, you know what, I'm going to try to write a bestseller. I went into this project going, you know what, I'm going to share my story and share what's really on my heart. And if that only reaches one person, that only reaches one person. But I want to write what I've been going through and my feelings. I, I want to be real and honest. I didn't, I didn't go into this trying to get a bestseller and people will go, you know, yeah, but you're, you know, you're an author. That's everyone's goal. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. That was not my goal in this book. I, I just wanted to write something real and honest that I believe a lot of people needed to hear. And, and if that, if that actually hurts me and you know what, because of that, Good luck hitting a bestseller, dude. It's a little too in your face. It's a little too real and honest. Well, forget that. I don't need to be on the bestseller list anyways. I just, I just want, I just want to help people. And I have a heart for people. My wife has a heart for people. And my, this book is literally my life on paper. It is my heart. It is my soul. It is my blood, sweat, and tears on paper in hopes that it could help at least one person. Awesome, brother. And and I believe just from reading it myself, I I I, I know that will be true. I know that. Uh, Many people will be helped by that. Love it. So as we're kind of closing our time down here together, um, is there anything that you have not yet shared that you would like to share with the pastors and ministry leaders that are listening in today that might help them as either they're battling with, with some issues themselves or as they're reaching out and helping others who are battling with mental health disorders? Yeah, I would leave pastors and pastoral leaders and leaders of the local church with this. If the local church really wants to be the hope of the world, then the local church needs to step into areas in which the world finds itself hopeless. Mental health. I mean, it's, it's, that's just one example of the 40 that I could explain. But if you want to be the hope of the world, the local church, then we have to step into areas where all these people are finding themselves broken and hopeless and in need of God's love. Awesome, brother. I appreciate your time. We appreciate your ministry, both you and Julie and uh, Anthem of Hope. Your nonprofit, of course, you're a pastor, a blogger, and then uh, really encourage people to pick up your new book, Love is Oxygen. It's uh, it's powerful. Thank you so much for just being honest with us, being real, um, being yourself, and uh, just the beauty that that um, imparts and, and encourages others as they're seeking uh, the hope of Christ and the love of God. Thank you so much, Jared. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week, as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they can benefit uh, from these interviews as well. And again, we thank you in advance. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.